0: Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week, we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. You know, Coach Passaccia's son wrote me, or uh, he wrote this thing for himself, and he, he yeah he was kind of enough to give me a copy. Um... Uh, you know, and I won't get into all what it says and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's been in my office here at the building uh, even since we were back in Oakland, and one part of it literally says no one no one cares, and, uh, you know, I, I just, I've held on to that because really at the end of the day, no matter what you go through, um, <laughs> no matter how many, you know, situations you've had, no matter how head coaches and coordinators and players have come through the buildings and all this kind of stuff, no matter where you're at, nobody cares, you know, you just got to win football games, and so that's something that I've held on to. It's something that uh, I started saying to Yannick. You know, he, you know, if he was, you know, if he got banged up one game or anything like that, I'd tell him, "Hey, nobody cares." You know, at the end of the day, you got to get there. And uh, you know, he, you know, he's the he's he kind of thinks the same way I do. We're both kind of sick that way, and trying to make our mind, yeah, no one cares. Get it done anyway. And so um, we both have just kind of said that back and forth. And it's kind of something that Coach Pasacha, you know, um, you know, our our video guy here, Joe Harrington, actually saw it in my office and. You know, reminded Coach Passaich of it, and he, he kind of put it up in front of the team. I wrote it down even today. I said, no no one cares about how we got here, why we got here, um, the fact that um, it's a miracle that we we are we at this point with the uh, with what's happened. Um, but it's a it's a beautiful thing because we've worked for it and we've kept that mindset of no one no one cares. You know what what's happened, um, and so that we're in January and we're playing a meaningful game uh, with everything that's gone on is. It's pretty cool, and it's something that I teach my kids. Um, It's something that they know that I love them and all those kind of things, but sometimes situations don't care about you. Good morning, Beacon family.
1: Beacon family, come on now. Good morning, Beacon family. I'm gonna put the disclaimer out right now. I'm on my noodle ministry, my my, my, my Kevin Durant right now because uh, I fast in the beginning of the year, every year, and so I lost a lot of weight, so I'm all right. Y'all don't is he is he all right? I'm good, (laughs) Um, but good morning. I'm so grateful, and even before I open up, I just need to say thank you. I want to thank each and every one of you. I was supposed to be worshiping with you in August, and that morning um, I got an emergency call that my sister, um, actually a little bit early, a couple hours earlier, had a blood clot in her brain in Philadelphia. And so I was on the phone in the morning uh, when I was supposed to be uh, sharing the word of God with you. And I ended up rushing down to Philadelphia. And I thank each and every one of you for your prayers for my family. And by the grace of God, by a miracle, my sister survived. And so I want to thank you. Thank you again. (laughs) Even more beautiful news is that my sister, over the course of those two months, on her own by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, gave her life to Christ as well. So (laughs) praise God. Praise God for that. One of the most sobering things you find out when you're faced in a life-and-death situation is who really cares for you? Who, out of all the people, the places where you work, where they pay you to do things transactionally, the people who are around you, the people who are in the pictures and the beautiful moments, when you're facing life and death, when you're in such a trying, vulnerable situation, you really find out who really cares. Who cares about your well-being? Who really, really cares? But the flip side is, as much as these are opportunities for you to figure out who really cares, these are also opportunities where you can experience some great hurt. You could be forgotten. You could be not considered. You could be forsaken. In the moment when you need the people who you care about the most, those are moments where you're most vulnerable to be hurt the deepest. I remember that morning, literally from that morning, racing down to Thomas Jefferson Neuroscience in Philadelphia and and every waking minute that that visiting hours allowed a human being to be in that room, I was in that room. And if I wasn't in that room, I was in that lobby. If I wasn't in that lobby, I was in a couple blocks over at that hotel. And then even after the first few weeks when I could not just consistently be down there. I literally went back home, and every single morning from Jersey City, New Jersey, I went down to Philadelphia every single morning just to lay the black of my eyes on my sister, my first superhero, to watch her have all the electrodes in her brain, eyes dilated, seizuring. And I couldn't help but wonder and think in that moment when I'm looking at my sister and say, God forbid, if I found myself in the same situation, who would show up for me? Who would show up for me? Who would show up for me? Now I kid you not, I was over there for two months in Thomas Jefferson neuroscience and there were rooms that I would pass by, people and patients that I would see and not one person I not saw one person show up to that room. Could you imagine that? It was as though no one cared. And now there's probably some reasons. Maybe people are not alive. Maybe people are across the country. I don't know, but I don't care if I had the patience and the compassion of Mother Teresa. If I am life and death with Things hooked up and doctors looking anxious and scared and I am there by myself and none of my close family and friends show up. I don't care. You need to be there. How many people agree with me? You need to show up. You have to. Which is why I'm so grateful and I'm so grateful for the prayers, the emails, and uh, pastor, your entire community. I'm thankful for my family who came together like Voltron, literally, and took... (laughs) <laughs> Roles and, and, and took shifts and were there and, I, and I, in that moment I also realized that nobody cares for you quite like your family cares for you I know there's a pause right because the truth is if we sit with the uncomfortable truth not all our families are that way not every family is perfect because our families are made up of what? humans human beings aren't perfect but I show them how many people have a perfect family? I saw, I, saw, I saw two liars in the corner over there. <laughs> two liars in the corner. By a show of hands, how many people have families with issues? All right, it's Sunday. Y'all telling the truth. <laughs> and human beings have limits. They have limits in their ability to do all things. In particular, one thing is their limits in their ability to care for you. They're not all-knowing. They're not always present, and they always have the capability to care for you the way you need at all times. They're not, said another way, I'd say it this way, they're not omniscient, they're not omnipresent, they're not omnipotent, sounds familiar? They're not God the one who is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. And the good news, and what that naturally means, is that nobody cares for you like God cares for you. Nobody cares for you like God cares for you. In understanding this, if you have a healthy perspective on this, You'll have healthy expectations, not only for your life, but for people and for God. If you fully understand that nobody cares for you like God cares for you, you have a healthier perspective of life, of people, and of God. And this is one of the main reasons why I love that video, not to be confused with loving that team. I'm a Giants guy. Right, But I love that video of Derek Carr a couple of weeks ago. They got knocked out, haha, <laughs> but whatever, right? But it was true. Because what he literally was saying was that at the end of the day, you still have a responsibility to show up and do what God has called you to do. It doesn't matter whether people care or not, you still have a call. You can't wait for people to care to do what you're called to do. Nobody cares for you. Like God cares for you. And the beauty of this is it might sound like what I'm saying sounds very, very harsh, but it's helpful. It may sound very, very difficult, but it's biblical, it's freeing, it's empowering to really sit in the reality that no one cares, to really accept the fact that no one on God's green and blue, no one could even compare to the love of God. No one's care comes even close. And that there's one place in this fallen world that I could run to when the world isn't the way it ought to be, the way it was designed to be in Genesis, that I can go to God and be cared for beyond the measure of what anybody else could care for me. Now, typically, I think this is beautiful, and one of the things that I love is that, typically when I need to explain this, is that God has been telling us this from the very beginning. I love to start in Genesis because, uh, pro tip, if you ever want to see where something started in the world, look at the book of Genesis. It literally means beginning. Everything starts there. God's plans, God's previews, our stuff, and when we look at the book of Genesis, so you look at the Garden of Eden was the, the place of God's ultimate peace. You had rivers coming through, everything was perfect. everything was beautiful. Perfection, God's ultimate care was there. He created us. That's care. He created and curated the beautiful environment where we had no lack of nothing, God's care. He gave human beings companionship, God's care. He gave human beings a perfect call and purpose where all of us are singing, here, what is my purpose, what is my purpose, what is my purpose? He gave us that right there, God's care. And what happens? You know what happens. You know the story. We thought that we could care better for ourselves than God could care for us. It's not not true. And what did we do? We invited all this trouble, the beautiful peace, the beautiful perfect care of the world all changed we thought that we can care for ourselves better than God can care for us. And it all entered into the world. And so now you have scriptures, like the book of John, 1633, where it says, I have told you these things, so within me you will have peace. In this world you will have what? Will but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then you have King David speaking about in Psalms 142 and 3. He says, when my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way in the path where I walk. People have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there was no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. King David says, no one cares for my life. No one cares. But pay attention to what he says right after that. In a moment when he's saying that no one cares, King David says no one cares. What does he look to? I cry to you, Lord. If I'm hungry, I'm not going to go to a place where there's no food. When he said, no one cares, he looks to the Lord. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. This land of the living, yes. In this world, we were called to live and thrive in the world and have peace. In this world, yes, this land of the living, where there will be trouble, where there will be suffering, we are called to live in that world where people will betray you, where people will talk about you, where people will neglect you, where people will forsake you. This world, we are called to live and to thrive and to be God's light in this world. But the beautiful thing is that in this world, in this world, yes, this world, nobody cares for you, like God cares for you. And understanding this and centering this helps you have a healthier perspective of life, of people, and of God. Now, before we move forward, I want to be extremely clear. What I am not saying is that you should go through all life and be like, no one cares for me, Tupac me against the world, chip on your shoulder. I'm not saying that. Nor am I saying that you need to just avoid all relational connection because you don't want to you, because you, no one really cares, so I should cut all of that off. Nor am I saying for you to live a Buddhist life of no expectation so I don't suffer. I'm not saying that what I am saying, though, is, maybe, just maybe, God is challenging you today, all of us, that we would have a healthier perspective for people, that we wouldn't put God-sized expectations in the hands of the people around us and expect them to carry it. Maybe. Maybe God is calling us to live our life where our obedience, our ability to live out the will for our lives is not contingent upon us understanding, nor is it contingent upon other people caring. Maybe, just just maybe, God is calling us that our ability to hold on to relationships for a lifetime is not contingent upon them being perfect and never betraying us, and never hurting us. Maybe, just maybe, God is calling us to bear with people. Maybe the challenges that God is challenging us today, that, that we would have no longer a warped view of life, where life, the purpose of life is happiness, with no suffering, that our perspective of life would be a lot more realistic, a lot more gospel-centered, a lot more missional, Because here's what's at stake if you don't get this. You could ruin your life. Because you'll destroy relationships. And you'll question your your faith in God. Because the world isn't quite the way you thought it should be. But maybe, maybe God has put you in a world just like this one, has given you a life just like this one. And he's saying, even in this life, you have peace. You can have joy. You can have purpose. I know what it feels like to have a call and be wondering whether or not you should do it because people don't care. I know what it feels like to wonder whether you should maintain relationships with people who've deeply betrayed you because there are people in this room and even on the stream right now who are stuck, waiting for people to care to move, stuck, discontented, and distressed with their life and wondering if their life is they're doing it wrong because they're experiencing so much pain and suffering and my hope and my challenge is for you is that you will see that even in this life and even in this world god's caring for you and god has offered you peace for this one now i think there's a passage in scripture jesus in the garden of gethsemane anybody have a physical bible anymore we don't know we don't do that anymore it's okay Uh, go to the book of Matthew chapter 26 verse 36 to 45 Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane illustrates this well and we understand this moment as his disciples right after they just had their last supper and right before he's about to be arrested and tried and crucified he's seen with his disciples he's there with Peter, James and John and they join him in his most vulnerable moment of despair and trouble where he's looking for their care at such a time. I'll read from verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. The hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes our betrayers, my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Here's what I want you to see this morning. That clearly nobody cares for you like God cares for you. And if we properly center God's care above And beside and apart from all other people's care, it'll help us to have a healthier expectation of life and a healthy expectation of people and a healthier expectation of God. Healthy expectation of life. In verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to Gethsemane, drawn from the Hebrew room, Gatshmanim, which literally means oil press. Now, if you understand a little bit about what way the oil press works is that you literally have this, these olives and that you have this big concrete thing pushing against it, pressing it, pressure, pushing, pressure, 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 and out of it, if you keep it for enough time and for an extended amount of time, you're going to get the oil, more oil, and if you press it long enough, you'll get beautiful aromas and more oil to use. Now, it's it's one of those things where I don't think it's by chance, and do you, I don't think it's by chance that he would be there. And that oil, an olive oil, an oil press would be the place where he would go and the significance of oil in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, the oil represented healing. Oil also represented the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so he's in this place of pressure. And so you see this contrast with the Garden of Eden, of peace. In the Garden of Gethsemane, of pressure, of distress, of travail, of all of these things, you see this contrast that's taking place, and it's almost as though this place where Jesus is right now embodies the human life, where there will be trouble, where there will be suffering, where there will be pressure, yet similar to Jesus, it's like No matter what happens in this life, like Jesus on the cross, no matter what suffering all you and I go through, God will make something good of it, like he did with Jesus on the cross. He'll make something good out of it. And so we see in this scene, Jesus, fully God, fully human, is overcome with distress. And in verse 36, he says, sit here while I go over there and pray. In his distress, fully human, fully God, he's not asking them, come with me to pray. He's saying, sit over there and pray, and I'm going to go. To pray. Because I think if something, I think in his mind, he knew that if nowhere else I can go, where no one else fully cares, could fully understand, I can go to God because nobody cares for you like God cares for you. And so he was able to receive perspective. He went back and then he was able to have perspective. It's almost as if when he went back, he almost came back stronger, more resolute. And he was more willing to accept his lot in life, his cup. Now, cup, if you've ever heard kind of the biblical word cup, you've seen this throughout most of the Bible, cup usually represents wrath. It literally means your lot in life, your cup. And so when they describe the wrath of God coming upon the people of Israel, they called it the cup. But the cup literally is not just negative things, it's also positive things. When we look at the psalmist in 23, he literally says, I had anointed his head with oil. My cup runneth over, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever his cup he was able to accept it because he went to God and isn't it already obvious if it's not already obvious life is hard how many people agree that life is hard <laughs> when those bills are coming life is hard <laughs> when you're looking at the doctor after they said what they all that they said life is hard When you're looking at your life and you're looking back with all these regrets, life is hard. When you're looking in the mirror at a face and a body that you don't even accept, that you don't like, life life is hard. When you're looking at them in the hospital room, life is hard. When you're looking down at them, lowering them into the grave, life is hard. When you wake up each morning covered with all the responsibilities that you need to be responsible for, it seems like no one really cares. Life is hard. And I would probably most of us would agree that for the past couple of years, life has been hard. You'd agree? I mean, unless you had QQQ and your investment portfolio went up. It was a great year. I'll be honest. It was, it was a great year. <laughs> right? Life was hard. And think about it. It was just like 2022 picked up right when 2021 left off, isn't it? Ain't that true? Right? They couldn't even wait till 2022 hit. 2021 hit. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to celebrate the new year, and guess what I hear? They done took Betty White. They done took Betty? Betty White? Betty Blanche? Betty Blanco? They took my golden girl. I was just like, Jesus, take me. Throw out all 2022. <laughs> I, just, I was waiting for the four horsemen of Revelation to come through. I was like, you done took Betty White. It's done. We're, we out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love Betty. And God rest her soul. But seriously, when you typically are dealing with extended periods of suffering and difficult times, one of the unsaid and unconscious insidious outcomes of it is that you look to offset all the stuff that's happening in life with your life. You still end up having these almost unrealistic, mythical expectations of human perfection and, and, and perfect life and uh, a human harmony in your relationships. You literally, when I'm suffering here, it's almost like you walk around like you have a birthright. Like, I earned not having any, any, any issues in my relationship. I've earned not having any issues in my life. Unconsciously, as human beings, we do that. The more we suffer, the more we suffer growing up in our family, the more we're like, I'm not going to take any drama, I'm not dealing with anybody, and you have unrealistic expectations of people because you're traumatized. So collectively we've been traumatized, and so that's when people drink more, that's when people are looking, I need to go on vacation, that's when people spend more money. They do that because they're looking to medicate from the suffering. And so naturally you not only have an unrealistic and unhealthy expectation of life, you have an unhealthy expectation of people. They need to be perfect for you. No issues. But Jesus' perspective on people wasn't warped, even as he's overcome with sorrow and distress. In his most vulnerable moment, he is still steadied and connected to the people around him. He is still doing so. I want to pause. I'll make sure that they're okay. For those on the stream want to make sure that our brother, sister, that's here with us, want to make sure they're all okay. Okay. Praise God. When Jesus is facing the coming wrath of God, he leans in, and he still stays connected to the people who he's doing it all for. My prayer is that you and I We'll not find our peace in our ultimate care in a perfect life, but that we would find our peace in our ultimate care in a perfect God. Because nobody cares for you, but God cares for you. One whose cares, unlike any other's care. The one who said, if anyone would come after me, let them take up their cross and follow me. Or whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Centering God's care will help you have a healthier expectation of people. After Jesus returned from praying in the garden, in verse 40, he says this, Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. He finds his disciples sleeping. Now think about this. Imagine if you were Jesus. Let's all be honest. Imagine if you were Jesus. I I just finished washing your funky feet. And you're sleeping? I was with you for three years, covering you, teaching you, healing, doing everything, and I'm about to face death. I'm about to go into the earth for three days and three nights. And all I'm asking for you is 60 minutes. And you can't even stay awake for me. I'm bleeding as I'm praying. I'm crying. I'm thinking about you. I'm suffering. I've done all of this for you. And you can't stay up for me for one hour. That's Jesus. But imagine you and I. (laughs) I carried you for nine months. (laughs) C-section. Financially. 22 years, emotionally, for a lifetime. You can't pick up the phone and call. <laughs> somebody, somebody hurt right now. <laughs> <laughs> parents be mad, man. <laughs> I was there when your parents passed. I was there with you, and you can't even show up for me. I woke up at 5 a.m. every morning. I paid every bill in this house. No thanks, no gifts, no acknowledgment. I ask you to do one thing and you have a problem. For all the under shepherds in this difficult pandemic, I dedicated your children. I picked up the phone every time you called in the middle of the night when you weren't so sure you wanted to keep living. I was there for you whenever you needed. I showed up, and you don't like one thing in this sermon, and you leave. Just like that. Difficult. One of my favorite. We can go on and on, y'all. But I think the thing that gives me hope is what you read in verse 40. Jesus says, couldn't you men keep watch with me? And then in verse 42, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he leaves again, returns a second time to see them sleeping. And then in verse 43, he said, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. The scripture, the God-inspired words, continues to emphasize their humanity. These are humans. It's almost as though they can't help it. They're tired. And Jesus knew that. He understood this. He knew that they were human, they were limited, and they were not God. And so he can go to God. Because Jesus, as well as you and I, can go back and forth, like the psalmist said, and as they are sleeping, he goes to the one who Psalm 121 says, he who watches over you will not sleep nor slumber. And did he who watches over Israel will never slumber nor sleep. In contrast, when he is going and looking for them for care, he sees them sleeping. When he needs their care, they're sleeping. When they let them down, he is going to the one who is lifting him up. The contrast that nobody cares for you like God cares for you. Nobody can, nobody will, like he will. And there's, the truth is is that when we look at our human relationships, our friendships, there are many of us who are struggling to maintain relationships with people because we are hoping that they would never leave us nor forsake us. But that scripture was for God, not for people. What means that you're going to be called to people in your life, called to hold on to people in your life who are going to leave you and forsake you. that's hard. I know it's hard. But I just want to challenge all of us today. I don't want any of us to give up lifelong relationships with people who have chronicled your life, have seen you at your worst, have been with you, you to give it up because they've hurt you, because they humaned you. (laughs) Because think about it. If God truly is God to us, then we don't need for the people around us to be God for us. If God truly is God to us, we don't need the people around us to be God for us. Because nobody cares for you like God cares for you. Y'all, at a healthier perspective of God, I actually believe that we have a very low view of God's care. It's not that it's just warped, that it's so low that we have such low expectations of God's care for us. But then again, how do you explain 3D to somebody in 2D? How do you do it? It's beyond words. It's beyond description. It's beyond anything that we could even ever communicate. Because in the book of Isaiah, it says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, and so shall it be that God's care is higher than anything that we could even encapsulate. It's greater than that. But I always think when I look about what happened with my sister, when I think about the brothers and sisters I've been at at bedside with, when I look at that person whose body's wasting away but they're praising God, there's something about God's care That does something supernatural to the human heart. Something about God's care. When Jesus is facing death, when he's going and praying and people are betraying him, he's coming back even stronger, more resolute. There's something supernatural about God's care. When you lose that job again, when you're going through the things that you've been going through, where you can still be resolute and praising God here on Sunday, still saying hallelujah, still saying glory be to God. Glory in the highest. There's something supernatural about the love and the care of God that does something that we can't even explain. In those moments, God is asking us to lean in the way Jesus leaned in. And this is the thing that trips me out in verse 46. After Jesus returns for the third time, he says, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands. And it has an exclamation point. Rise! Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It's as though he's now emboldened. He's not downtrodden anymore. He's strengthened by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. He's stronger. He's clear. And it's not because of his close circle of friends were hyping him up, caring for him. Clearly. Clearly, no. It's not because the people that he was going to die for were going to live perfect lives, were going to fully appreciate him, you and I. Clearly. That's not the case either. It's because God gave him something. God's care gave him something it allowed him to show up stronger, clear, resolute. The truth is, is that we're not going to live this perfect life. We're not going to have a perfect perspective on the brothers and sisters in our life. We're not going to have a perfect perspective of life. We're not even going to have the perfect perspective of God. But the fact that we follow and believe in and have made the Lord and Savior of our life a Savior who cared for us the way he did in spite of what we are doing and have done. It gives us the hope and the courage and the strength to live that life. Now, it's difficult to really take in the gravity of God's care when we're consistently focused on how people don't care for us. Because if we truly take hold and behold of God's care, we will see in Jesus' death and resurrection, on that cross, an enduring love that never fails. The author of Hebrews writes this, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy you and I, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This week marks two years since Kobe Bryant passed. I remember where I was when I got the call. I remember the piercing pain in my heart, the weight in my stomach. For some people in this room, it may have been the first time some of the, you saw some of the men in your life cry. Was that true for somebody? And even as I'm sitting in in pain, As hurt as I was, I also remember being so angry. I was angry. Because I found out about Kobe Bryant dying before his wife did. Even before his body could be lifted up and moved. You had police officers taking pictures and selling them off to TMZ. Gruesome sight. Of the people, all the people who passed, Kobe and Gianna and the brothers and sisters who were in that helicopter. Even one picture they said that they actually had Kobe Bryant's arms over Gianna. And they sold it. As I mourned alongside the world, I couldn't help but think that somebody so accomplished, who performed so well and did so much for the world, simply still had to experience people who simply did not care. Didn't care about his performances, didn't care about his rings, didn't care about what he did in the world. I saw the ugliness of humanity in such a moment. But the good news is that even the ugliness of humanity and the gruesomeness of the scene of his death could not overshadow the love of a father for his child. of all the things that he could think about right before they face death, is to cover his child. We can't even fully capture how much God loves us. We will never be able to fully capture how much God loves us, because there is nothing like God's care. But there are moments in our life, moments that we experience... Moments that we read about, moments that we're told about, where we see that there is nothing like God's care. Moments like Jesus on the cross when he was facing death. And of all the things that he is thinking about when he is about to die, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He was the child crying out to the Father. But Jesus also was God. For the joy set before him, with his arms outstretched at the cross, he was embracing you and I. So by by his blood, we would be covered forever. Because nobody cares for you, but God cares for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your care, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Father God, that we will not on this side of glory fully be able to behold your care, but Father God, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, by not only the example, but by the life of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that we see your care is unlike anything that the world can offer us, that our lives don't have to be perfect when we have a perfect God, that people around us don't have to be perfect because we have a perfect person of Jesus. And that, Lord, we could behold that if we lean into your care, we will have the strength and the power and the grace to honor your will and to glorify your name while we're here. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' righteous and holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank
0: you, Beacon. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.